Good morning again. As I said, we're in a series called The Callings, and uh, it comes specifically from Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. Let me, let me just begin by reading that passage, and we're going to get into today. It says, And he himself, meaning Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to unity of the faith. Today we come to the the last of the five listed callings in Ephesians 4, and ultimately next week we're going to wrap this entire series up and look at why God gave us what he did here. I hope, I hope that this has been encouraging. This series has been helpful, okay, for one of us at least. Hopefully it's been enlightening to us, to us all. (laughs) Uh, The teacher is the one that explains to us incremental details, step by step, leading us to execute the vision. So the who, what, when, where, why, and how of an itinerary. Much like Jesus' half-brother, James, um, when he writes in his first chapter of his epistle, he writes like this. He says, "'My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience.'" But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. This is spoken like a true teacher. James here lets us know why and what to expect from God's perspective when we are given a rather hard truth. Like consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. How many of you consider that easy news? Right? Okay. But to give distinction between the teacher and all the other callings, like for a prophet, you would only hear that. Hey, uh, face trials, like as you come to trial, consider it pure joy. So consider pure joy through trial, that's it. That's, that's it. Like no detail, no explanation as to why. Just here's the hard truth, and this is why, uh, this is what God expects of you. So as you go through trial, do it with joy. Maybe the apostle might say it like this. They would say, as you face trials of many kinds, do so so that in the end you'll lack nothing. So this large kind of overarching sweep of vision and and like this is there is a reason as to why you're doing it largely, but we're not going to give the incremental steps as to how that's going to accomplish or what each means you're just going to start eating that elephant. We're not going to tell you which side to eat on or how to start chewing. It's just, here's how it's going to take place. And we're going to administer a vision. Um, little explanation uh, as to why. Uh, for the evangelist, uh, when you hear, consider it pure joy uh, when you face trials of many kinds, there's no party in that, so they're out. Okay, right? <laughs> there's not a party in that statement. Um, the uh, pastor, they're going to walk through it with us, but they recognize that every individual must go through this trial. It's for their own teaching, so they have to go it alone a little bit. Teachers are the ones that help us to understand the steps as to why we're going through it. That's why he unpacks, because when, faith produ- when you go through the testing of your faith, it produces patience. When patience has its perfect work, You will be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The explanation of James shows he is a teacher. Today I want to look at another biblical example in in Scripture of a teacher as we look at Gideon. 
We'll be in Judges 6 and 7, and actually, today I just want to read through both chapters. There's going to be a lot of scripture today, but I want you to hang with me. There's a narrative that we need to see of beauty. It is the beauty of God leading someone who felt like they weren't good enough and they weren't sure of themselves to trust him. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Maybe that sounds a little bit like your life. We're going to look at your life, my life through Scripture today, but specifically we're going to hone on the issue of God leading Gideon to walk as a teacher. Judges, in the book of Judges, the word judges in Hebrew means deliverer. It's more than just judgment. While we're going to see judgment take place, judgment of Baal worship, what, what God called Gideon to do was deliver the people. And uh, quite honestly, what leads us into chapter 6 is this. The people of Israel have been very unfaithful with God. They've uh, started worshiping Baal. And they were led to Baal worship by Gideon's own household. His father's the priest of Baal. What that did was made God very jealous. How many of you know we have a jealous God? And he wants the greatest commandment to love him with everything. Okay, well, they didn't do that. So what that did was, how, how many of you also know that everything God does is out of love, even his rebuke of us, okay, and our correction. So for seven years, he allowed the people of Israel to be overthrown by the Midianites. They would be working the ground. They'd be working, tilling, farming. But every year at harvest time for seven years, the Midianites would come in and pillage and plunder the Israelites, leaving them nothing. You have more and more Israelites dying off every year during the winter because they don't have enough food. And this is the seventh of said years. He allows it to happen for seven years just to gain their attention. And then he's going to do something remarkable to turn their hearts back to him. This is that seventh year when we get into Judges 6, starting in verse 11. It says this, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under a terebinth tree, which is an Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abyssalite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon turned and said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all of this happened to us? You guys ever asked that question before? Anyone? No? Just me. Okay. And where are all his miracles, which the fathers have told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring you up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said, surely I will be with you. You shall defeat the Midianites as one man. We're going to flip the script a little bit this morning. We're going to start by looking at the lie of the teacher, the fear that comes when we are crippled by lie as a teacher. Now, their lie sounds a lot like uh, we all have a tendency to connect with this lie, okay? Because their lie is, I'm not good enough. But if you notice that the, the, 
the teacher actually says it in a way that speaks to the fact that they're not good enough. Everyone else, it may sound that way because every lie is directly tied to your biblical function, what God has called you to do, your shape. And every lie is about worth and value. But when you look at the prophet, they feel at fault for everything. It's not about not being good enough. It's the fact that they led us all into destruction. And when you look at the, the apostle, it's not, that, it's not that they don't feel good enough. It's the fact that they don't recognize their own worth and and feel like this is going to take my life. I'm going to have to go all in 100%. There's no stepping back. So is it worth it? And am I the one that can actually take us there? So is this even real? The evangelist goes, I'm just afraid I'll be forgotten. It's not that I'm not good enough. It's the fact that I'm afraid everyone will forget me. And the pastor says, I'll go down the rabbit hole with everyone. But in the end, no one will be there for me. If you listen, you can hear some of the callings are a little bit more people-driven while some of the callings are more task-driven. A teacher is far more task-driven. They say, I'm not good enough. By all accounts, Gideon is the least qualified person for this job. Circumstantially, he is. He says, as he's hiding, mind you, okay, the battle's yonder, okay, This ain't Texas, but we can still use that word, right? The battle's over there. Gideon is hiding on his own property, trying to hide the the wheat that he's worked so hard through to harvest time. And this year, he's holding on to his. He's not letting anyone take it from him. So he's threshing it out as God shows up and taps him on the shoulder. He's trying to hold on to his. Anyone ever tried to hold on to your stuff? He's trying to hold on to his stuff and not have that taken by his enemy. And so God shows up and he taps him on the shoulder and says, hey, you mighty man of valor. Okay, I love that word valor because that's an old English word that means bravery. We don't use a word like that much today, but I love that word. I love the weight of that word. But here's the thing. He's saying it to someone who's in cowardice hiding with his back to, to battle. Does the, the words fit the picture? No. And then when God, when he hears this, his first response is, oh, my Lord, if God is with us, then why has all of this happened to us? You know, we hear of this God who like led us out of Egypt and led us out of bondage, let us be free, not slaves. But have you noticed what's happening? There's more and more of us dying off of here. If, if God's really with us, why is he letting that happen? Go in this might of yours is the response of God. What might? Go in the vicious fight that you have to prove me wrong. Go in this vicious tendency that you have to argue with me and to prove me wrong. Go in this kind of might. You see, what he's saying to Gideon, the teacher here, is this. Teachers have a tendency to find their value in being right because they really believe they're not good enough. Okay? So they have a tendency to when they fight, they have to be right. And they fight for being right. Why? Because if they're wrong, their lie is true. Does it make sense? I'm not good enough. I didn't know. I'm dumb. So therefore my value is out the window. 
So Gideon here viciously is fighting to prove God wrong. Well, I'm not the guy because I'm the least of these. My family actually led all of Israel to worship Baal. So I'm in the weakest tribe in all of Manasseh. You know this. And I'm also the youngest in my household, which means I receive least of the blessing of anyone in my household. So I'm not the guy. I literally am the least of the least of the least. I'm the least qualified servant circumstantially. And God looks at him and says, you're perfect for this job. Why? Because through you, I'll receive due glory. No one expects it from you. So you're the perfect guy for this job. It was your house that led us to worship Baal, my people. So it's going to be your house that's going to turn us back to God. Hello? It needs to start with your house, and I need the least qualified to do it. How many of you love, though, let me, let, me, let me just say this. How many of you love when God turns to the coward and says, you mighty man of valor, you mighty man of bravery? How many of you love that God sometimes sees in us what we do not see in ourselves? How many of you think that God might have something more for you than you have even thought for yourself and circumstances have spoken against? You see, God who created us in his image knew precisely why he made us. He didn't just back into it. Hello? He didn't just go, I don't know what to do with this one. He knew before you were formed in the womb precisely what he wanted for you and how he was going to utilize you. And so while cowering, he calls Gideon the brave one because he knew this moment was coming. While Gideon tries to argue his point about God abandoning them and how he himself isn't qualified to be the one to turn around, God says, you go in this might of yours. You go in this vicious fight to prove me wrong. I want that same kind of bravery to leave my people. I want that same kind of bravery to be the one who's out front so people do not lose hope. I want that kind of example. If you're so destined to prove me wrong, why don't you just be destined to trust me with that same kind of fervor, same kind of intensity? How many of you have recognized and learned by now that there's a lot of heartache when we do not trust the truth of God over the lies of the enemy? When we listen to the lies of the enemy over the truth of God and what he says over us, the one who made us in his image, when we trust the liar who tries to cripple us from walking as God called us, we have a lot of heartache. The fight or the passion that God has put in us and put in Gideon right here is simply misdirected. How many of you have ever been a little misdirected? And you seek to fight for yourself. Just, just me. See, I don't think there's a, a myriad of gods that we're up against. I think there's one God that's up against our God and you're looking at him. I think I have this vicious tendency to worship myself because here's the truth. I love me. You know? And if you're honest, you love you. Trust me, I'll talk to you. Reading on in Judges 6, it says this, Then he said to him, I, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who walk with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. So Gideon went 
and prepared a young goat and the unleavened bread and the ipaf of flour and the meat he put into a basket and the broth into a pot. And he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. Then the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the leavened bread, place it on the rock and then pour the broth out over it, like soak the offering. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of his staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire rose out from the rock consuming the meat, the unleavened bread, and the angel of the Lord departed from his sight. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord our God, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face, or I've met with God face to face. In the Old Testament, oftentimes when we see the angel of the Lord, what you're actually looking at is the Holy Spirit. Same word translates. Then the Lord said, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there, called it, The Lord is peace. To this day is still an Orphra to the Abyssalites. Next point. God leads Gideon the way that, God, that Gideon will lead Israel, step by step. God leads Gideon the way that he's going to ask Gideon to lead Israel, step by step. See, this food test that we see here is just a an affirmation or a confirmation that leads to his first assignment, his first mission, which God even allows Gideon to do by night because he knows Gideon. He knows who he is. How many of you are thankful that God knows you? Knows what you can handle, knows what you can't. But see, if we can trust God in the small, then we can, we can trust him in the big just as simultaneous that flip is true. If we can be trusted in the small to be faithful to God, then we trusted with the bigger. This food test precedes the first mission. Here's the first mission. Verse 25, Now it came to pass that same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, and the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal to your father, that he has put up and cut down the, gold, the wooden image that he's put beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement, and take the second bull, the burnt, offering, or the burnt sacrifice, with the wood of the image that you've now, you should cut down. So Gideon took 10 men with him amongst his servants and did as the Lord said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down, the wooden image that was beside it cut down, and the second bull that was being offered on the altar which had been built. So they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And when they had inquired and asked, They said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this. Then the men of the city said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die because he's torn down the altar of Baal and because he's cut down the wooden image that was beside it. Listen to this. This is the priest of Baal. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for Baal be put to death by morning. If he is a God, let him plead for himself because his altar has been torn down. Hold up, time out. If he is a God, let him plead for himself. The actions of his son lead to the turning of the heart of the priest who's led all of Israel to follow Baal faithfully. Here he's asking if Baal's actually a God, let him fight for himself. Big dramatic moment. Therefore, on that day, he called him, they called him Jeroboam, 
saying, let Baal plead against him because he has torn down his altar. Verse 33. Then all the Midianites and Amalekites and the people of the east gathered together and then crossed over the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But in the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. And when he did, he blew his trumpet and the Abyssalites gathered behind him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh who also gathered behind him, who also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulon, and Naphtali, and they came up to meet with him. The first mission leads to a larger mission. God asked him to tear down the altar that his father led him to build, led him to worship, led all of Israel to worship. So there's almost this conscious decision to trust the Father in heaven more than the Father on earth. We are always, in responding to Jesus' call, to make that distinction. There's a time in everyone's life in faith where we must trust our heavenly Father and what He says of us and how He leads us over our earthly Father and His failures. Amen? How many earthly fathers do we have in the room? How many say, I don't want to screw up my kids? Amen. Hopefully we're turning the, their heart and attention to the Lord as much as we possibly can. But jo- his response to be obedient and to go at night with 10 men leads to Joash's heart turn. It leads to the very challenge of Baal's existence altogether and all the people hear it. So gaining his father's heart and attention leads to gaining Israel's. Because the least of these that we just heard about, the least of the least of the least, the one that doesn't make sense, listen, they all line up behind Gideon. The Spirit of God comes on Gideon, he blows his trumpet, and they all line up. I think even if I were like in a trance, I still might find myself going, are we really getting behind this guy? This is the guy? I mean, I, why are we all lining up? Is this? But they all line up sovereignly behind Gideon. Judges 636, it says, so Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, that's important, my hand, as you've said, look, I shall put a a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there's dew on the fleece only and is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you've said. And it was so. When he rose the next morning, he squeezed out the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece into a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, okay, do not be angry with me. Let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just more, once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but all the ground allowed, around it, let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. These fleece tests, listen, lead to the main assignment or mission. You can see the step-by-step increment. As he is enlisted to do one thing, a test comes to confirm it. And so, still uncertain of himself, that's the key. Still uncertain of himself, he asks God for proof two times of the fleece that God has in fact chosen him as the vessel. Because he's still uncertain. It's not as much that he doubts God here. It's that he doubts himself, that you'll save all of Israel by my hand because I know who I am. How many of you know who you are? I don't think that it could be me, so reassure me that I've heard right. I want to make sure I didn't miss this. I want to make sure that I have the information right. Again, the lie is proceeding and can be crippling. I'm not good enough. I know who I am. 
probably more appropriately right here, he's probably saying to himself, since all of Israel has already lined up behind me and they're counting on me now, did I hear you right? Did I get your message and plan right? I was reading a commentary and Dr. Ralph Wilson wrote specifically about this part of this chapter. And he says this, what's the difference between Gideon's fleeces and that test and putting God to the test? The testing of God we see in the Bible are attempts by unbelievers to demand things of God or to manipulate God into somehow proving himself. Unless you do this, I won't believe. But Gideon is asking for God to do a minor miracle to help Gideon anchor his full faith in the Lord. Gideon wants to believe, and he has stuck his neck way out by rallying all the tribes to war. Gideon's request is in order to establish his faith that he might lead God's people. Gideon's request is not an unbelieving test of God, but he asks for the miracle on demand for him to meet not his own selfish needs, but to affirm that he's the one to do it. How many of you have ever prayed like this before? How many of you have ever had that moment with God? It's like, okay, if you just do this, I'll follow you faithfully. You know what I'm talking about? Hey, look, if you just make me prom queen, then I'm in. You know, if you'll just do what I need you to do, I'll follow. Wilson went on and said this, rather ask God to confirm his direction to you in ways that he sees fit. God allowed all this to happen. Ever heard, don't test the Lord thy God, but yet he willingly allows Gideon to confirm because he knows Gideon's heart in this. God understands that you're just learning and he is a good parent who isn't offended if you ask for help in learning in this case. It is the faith asking for confirmation, confirmation, not belief demanding God to prove himself. How many of you ever tried to make God prove himself? How many of us, let's, let's be a little more honest, it's safer. How many of us have ever doubted ourselves? We have to allow ourselves a little grace here. We're all still growing. Amen? I'm still growing. Uh, like James said, I'm being perfected. I don't have it all together. But this is where we have to trust God. We've got to be able to trust God here. We can trust our inadequacies are covered by his sovereignty. Hello? Is he God? Do you trust him? Does he love you more than anyone else in this room or anyone else on the planet? Then you have to be able to trust that your inadequacies are covered by his sovereignty. We must trust his way and his words over our circumstances and the certain lies of the enemy. But I want to read on because we turn the chapter here in Judges 7 and it says this. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon. And all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod. So that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of the the hill in in Moriah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Stop before I read on. You guys ever done this before? Ever seen God clearly do something only God can do, but you kind of took a little bit of credit? Just even 1%? They have 32,000 soldiers lining up right now in Israel's name under God. It says that the Midianites and the Malachites and those from the east could not be counted. We're talking hundreds upon hundreds of thousands in the valley. They are vastly outnumbered. The people who are with you are too many. So the Lord said to Gideon, 
Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart once, from, right, right now, from Mount Jalid. And it says 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. So we went from 32,000 to 10,000 against a countless army. Odds just vastly decreased. How many of you want to take those odds? Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water and I will test them there for you. Then it will be of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you and the same shall go with you. And whoever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, they shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink and the number of those who lapped putting their hand to their mouth was 300 men and all the rest of them got down on their knees to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, by these 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his own place. So the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands and he sent them away. He sent away the rest of Israel, every man to his tent and retained those 300 men. And now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. Listen, before we move on, I need you to get this picture. Okay, we just went to 10,000 against hundreds of thousands. You still have too many with you. What? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down to the water and here's the deal. Those that go face down on their chest into the water, lapping the water like a dog, like with his tongue and with their hands, not looking up, their eyes down in the water, just completing their thirst, fulfilling themselves, nourishing themselves. Those are the people I want you to use. Anyone who comes down here, opens their canteen, keeps their eyes up in case of possible attack, on their knees like a trained warrior, those guys go home. So anyone who might have a clue, send them home. I want you to take the 300 buffoons into battle against the hundreds upon hundreds of thousands. The function of the teacher is this. They incrementally give us step-by-step instruction in order to execute the vision. Gideon faithfully implements here the step-by-step instruction of God as he diminishes Israel's odds under God's direction. Wow. The spiritual gifts of a teacher that you might find are this. They teach. You might see the spiritual gift of teaching in a teacher. Administration helps leadership, mercy, and even wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge applied. Why did God do it this way? So that he might receive due glory. Listen, God does the unthinkable here with the unthinkable. They have the least likely leader They have 300 buffoons unpreparedly drinking face down in the least likely battle with the least likely odds. And here's what God does. He accomplishes it all in the least likely way. If you've seen God move like this in your life to where you could only point to him, just say amen. It says in verse nine, and it happened that same night, the Lord said to him, arise and go down to the camp for I have delivered them into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hands shall be strengthened to go up against this camp. Then he went down with Pura, the servant, and sat in the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. And now the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people from the east were lying in the valley of numerous as locusts and their camels were without number, so that, like sands of the seashore in multitude. And Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream 
to his companion. Now listen, like Gideon and Pura like sneak up to like a tent and they can hear on the other side of the canvas. And here's what they hear. I have had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread has tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it and it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed. Then his companion, who he's telling, answered and said, this is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel into the hand of God. He has delivered Midian and the whole camp. Can you imagine in fear at night walking down with your friend to hear this? How do you think Gideon felt to hear this happening when he's never had a conversation or any interaction with anybody of the hundreds of thousands that are in the valley below him? How many you think you'd be encouraged when you heard this? Here's what Gideon does. It says in verse 15, and so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and interpretation, he worshiped. He trusted, he knew. Gideon worships right there in the enemy's camp. Right there. He doesn't go back to worship. He doesn't leave. He stops right there knowing that God has made him almost untouchable. And he worships God right there in the camp. What change, what a huge change of application here in the trust of God we see in Gideon. Before he was like, I'm not good enough. In a ca- I'm a coward. I'm not the guy. I'm the least of these. And then that coward proves what God said of him. You mighty man of valor, so brave that you'd worship in the enemy's camp. I think that's a cool picture. Sometimes as we sense God move, we begin to trust him despite our circumstances. And we also need to remember that he is God. So maybe even the thick of our adversaries trying to trip or overthrow us, God is always victorious. We sing about him defeating the grave all the time. Amen? Do you trust it when the circumstances don't look like that? He's a God who gives and what? And it's still God. Judges 15 says, He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. Then he divided the 300 men into three companies and he put a trumpet in every man's hand and the empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. Watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. When I blow the trumpet and... All and I and all who are with me, then you also shall blow your trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the 300, and the 300 with him who were there went to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch of the night, just as they had posted the watch. And they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers and held the torches in their left hand, trumpets in their right, blowing, and they cried. The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And every man stood in his place and all around the camp, the whole army ran and cried out and fled. When the 300 blew their trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp and the entire army fled. Let me explain to you what we just read. We just watched a massive smoke screen. One large smoke screen. There's already through the camp a flood of panic, a panic that has happened because of the dream and the interpretation. All of the Midianites and Malachites and people from the east have heard the name Gideon and that he is going to come and overthrow them. So they go to bed that night. How many of you have ever been waken, like, awakened in the dark of the night and you kind of do this? You know what I'm saying? Okay. Meanwhile, as they're deep in sleep, Gideon takes the 300. He surrounds their valley by setting three companies all around the lip of the valley. And they all have a torch in their left hand and a pot in their right. When he gives the signal, they all blast the pots at the same time. And it sounds like a thunderclap hitting that valley. And when they come out with sleep 
still crusting their eyes. They look up and they see these torches behind them casting shadows to make the army of 300 seem like it's innumerable. And then he yells, blow the trumpet. That trumpet sounds like a thunderclap again in the midst of the valley. And they yell, you've been handed to God and Gideon. And they immediately, in an act of fear and in mercy, they try to flee. But if they can't flee, they kill each other. They take each other's life as an act of sacrifice so they don't die at the hand of the enemy. They die at their own hand. Gideon and his valiant 300 defeat an army that is innumerable without even lifting a sword. Hello? How many of you have ever had God move in your life and do things that only God can get credit for? God does this in Gideon's life right here and he leads the unthinkable to accomplish the unthinkable in an unthinkable way, step by step. Nobody of the 300 made sense, least of all the leader, but step by step, God led him so that he could lead them step by step. Do you hear the why, the what, the who, the why, the when? Incremental steps so they could overthrow an army that they should have never been in battle with without ever lifting a sword. In Gideon's story, the unthinkable is achieved by the unthinkable hero in order that no one but God receive credit. Does that sound familiar at all at any point in your life when you weren't sure how you were going to do it, God stepped in? Has anyone ever had something happen to you that you can only ascribe to the supernatural move of God in your life and it's otherwise unexplainable? I definitely have, but I have a feeling I'm not alone. Today, maybe someone needs to hear that. Today, maybe you need to be reminded as much as I do that maybe again, you need to thank God at his altar this morning. That God has moved in your life and even if he never did any more than go to the cross for you, that was enough. Maybe you need to come to the table and say, thank you God for loving me enough to give your life so that I could live. You took my punishment upon you so that I could not only live, but I could be here to learn and walk and seek to please you with every day that you give me breath. Maybe you're here and just needed to hear that the supernatural is achievable when you yield your insurmountable odds in ghastly circumstances to God. God led Gideon step by step. This morning, if that's you and you need to be led step by step, we have prayer partners that will be right here in just a moment. They're going to be on the side. I'm going to be down here and you can come to me. I'd love to talk to you. God loves you unconditionally. And today we'd love to show you, we'd love to teach you the steps that can be taken to not only engage in life with him, but to take the next steps with him if you've already begun that. Teachers help us in the body to see the next steps. That's the role they play in the kingdom. But today we need to let God lead us the way that he leads teachers. Let God teach you now. Let him lead you just like he led Gideon. Because this morning, we're not responding to, to Justin. We're not even responding to Gideon or this passage. We should be responding to no one but him.